Hey everyone, happy new year. Hope you all enjoyed a relaxing end of 2022 and have had an amazing start to 23 so far. Now, before we actually get into the episode, uh, I wanna take a moment and just quickly say thank you. Um, 2022 was an incredible year for the business of cyber. Followership and streams increased by just under 100%. I think it was about 94% or so. So I'm incredibly grateful um, for your time and, and for your attention and just for following along with the show. When I started this uh, during COVID, it was May of 2020. Um, in one respect, it was a way to keep myself busy uh, as we all were in quarantine. But in another respect, uh, it was a bit of an experiment. You know, my thought was if I could have conversations with interesting people about the often unexplored parts of our industry, perhaps others would find those conversations interesting too. Um, so with that, I'm excited to announce uh, an increase in the volume of episodes that you can expect in 2023. Historically, we've released uh, a new episode about every other week. Um, and in the new year, you can expect two episodes every two weeks. So it'll be every other Wednesday and every other Friday morning, you can expect a new episode to drop. Um, so if you're not already a follower or subscriber, be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you are listening to the show. And then also be sure to turn on notifications. There should be a little alarm bell next to the follow button. And what this will do is just send you a notification every time a new episode drops. Now, to get into the show today, uh, my guest is Chris Behrens, who is a principal on the investing team at Sin Ventures. Now, if you're not familiar with Sin, uh, they're one of the leading cyber-focused venture firms with a portfolio that includes companies like Transmit Security, Talon, and Halcyon, as well as a number of others. The firm was founded by Jay Leak and Patrick Heim, who were previously the CISOs at Blackstone and Salesforce, respectively. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce Chris Behrens from Sim Ventures. Well, the party is off to a good start. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me today. I mean, I'm excited to, uh, to do the interview. Yeah, same here. Well, as a way to kick us off, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you found your way into the cybersecurity world? Sure. Uh, so my name is Chris Behrens. I'm a principal on the investment team at Sin Ventures. Uh, so Sin Ventures just raised, we just raised our second fund earlier this, this year, which is $300 million. We raised $200 million back in uh, early 2021. Uh, so we're a Series A, Series B fund, laser focused on investing in cybersecurity. Uh, a lot of the companies that we tend to invest in are uh, you know, CISO-led high ACV products, and uh, our fund is actually led by former CISOs, which is kind of the driver for that, uh, which I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into, uh, into more today. Uh, but yeah, in terms of getting into VC, um, so it's, you know, long winding path. Uh, started out in 2012, I actually started a company. Uh, so I built, me and, and a number of my friends built Uber Eats for stadiums. Uh, you know, as it turns out, not the biggest TAM in the entire world, but we did raise a pre-seed round. We spent uh, two years, two plus years building a product. I was doing a lot of the sales, so going out and meeting stadiums and uh, trying to convince consumers to you know, use their, I remember, iPhone 1 or iPhone, you know, early gen iPhone to, uh, to order food from the concession stands at all these games. But 
Um, you know, ultimately it wasn't a big customer pain for the stadiums, and we uh, had, a, had a very small exit to a partner organization. But you know, kind of got me into the industry. I got to connect with a lot of uh, VCs and a lot of other founders and folks like that. Uh, after after that uh, startup, I joined uh, MongoDB, and so the the driver there was really to see like a, a growth stage startup, really see a company that was operating at scale, um, and ideally. You know, I wanted to work at a company that was going to go public in, in two to three years and just see what that like late stage journey was like. Uh, and so joined in 2017 or joined in 2016, they went public in 2017. And so, it, you know, it was, it was really that exact experience. You know, the company just doubled in size, went from five or 600 employees to over a thousand very quickly. Um, and they also launched Mongo. Oh, sorry, is <laughs> that crazy? Back the screaming right? kids. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yes, I live. I live right next door to a, uh, a a middle school that has their recess on the roof of their building in New York City. But anyway, so so yeah, joined Mongo. Had a great experience there. And then in 2017, I had the chance to join uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And so I'm not sure how familiar you are with SCB, but. The, the kind of core driver of their business is lending money to venture-backed companies, basically Series A all the way through uh, public. And so I was on this team that was tasked with identifying the most promising pre-seed, seed-stage companies. And I was, I was specifically covering enterprise software in New York, uh, figuring out which companies were going to go on to raise those massive Series A and Series B rounds from Sequoia, Insight, and Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, and try to figure out how we could get SUVs lending teams in front of those companies before they raised those rounds. And so I ended up doing that for four years, had a great experience at SCB, uh, learned a ton there and also built, you know, a huge network uh, in, in the New York ecosystem and broader in, in enterprise software and uh, was able to um, connect with some funds and ultimately make the transition over to venture uh, last year. Cool. Okay. So, in terms of maybe that that experience or, or winding experience, as you put it, from entrepreneurship to seeing the growth stage company like Mongo to SVB to now venture, what was it that drew you into an investing role and, and why would you seek that out? Yeah. So thinking about the mechanics of each of those jobs, at, at SVB, um, the portfolio that I was covering in New York was more than a thousand companies. And so... In many ways, it was a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, you have a ton of interactions with a ton of different companies in different spaces, but you you don't really get that that depth, uh, you know, of experience. And uh, you know, there's there's almost just like so much that you're looking at that it's hard to like really learn and, and dig in, in in different spaces. And then on the complete other side of that was building a startup or working at MongoDB. I mean, it was like you know years of pretty much just thinking about really myopically thinking about non-relational databases, uh, which is like a really interesting category, but you know, when you're just doing that every single day, day in, day out, all of your conversations are about databases, um, you know, it, it can, it can get repetitive. And, and so one of the things I was looking for, and one of the things that was really attractive about BC for me was uh, kind of the middle ground. So having a smaller portfolio, 10, 15, 20 companies where you do get to have more, more depth and there is, uh, you know, this board level engagement and you're, you're getting more involved in, in hiring and, and participating more in the companies and you get to kind of follow the company journeys more closely. Uh, and so it's, it's like a smaller group than the like 1000. So it's more reasonable, uh, number of companies to follow, but it's <laughs> also apologize again for the screaming kids in the background. Um, 
but it's it's also you know enough companies that um, you know for someone who's really curious, you're you're still uh, you know getting to, to to learn about all these different spaces all the time. I mean, it's a, it's a really really fun job, and you you get to see and learn so much new stuff every single day. That's a good segue into maybe getting a little bit more specific into just the characteristics of of sin and how you guys are structured as a business. Sure. I know, you know, one of the core foundations is that uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the call, your, you know, founders are uh, former CISOs and you guys are just hyper-focused on CISO-led high ACV cybersecurity companies. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that in terms of how you guys think about specialization and why it's such a central tenet of how the firm's structured? Totally. So, there's another VC, this guy named Nikhil Trivedi, who a few years ago wrote this blog post called Agglomerators versus Specialists. Uh, the premise of the article is very simple, and he has this like you know quadrant, a little matrix that he draws out. But the, the premise of the article is that a lot of the big funds, so think Andreessen Horowitz, Insight, General Catalyst, Sequoia, are uh, growing to the size where they're kind of just doing every product, right? Like they have a crypto arm, they have an enterprise software arm, they have a growth arm, they have, you know, all of these different products. And in many ways, they're kind of becoming like these huge financial institutions, like investment banks or something. Right? Like they're these very institutional platforms that have, uh, you know, centralized back office, centralized uh, investor relations and all this stuff. And so these funds at the scale that they're operating with, when you're raising a $20 billion fund, you can go out and build a 150-person platform team and you can offer all these services. Uh, and it's really, really hard to compete with a fund like that, right? I mean, like these funds have so many resources that they can just throw so many things uh, towards winning a deal, towards supporting a company. Um, and, and it totally makes sense. I mean, I think it's absolutely great for founders to have to have a, a fund like that on your cap table and in your corner. Uh, I think if you are not at one of those funds, you have to think about where you can compete, right? So specialization is, is probably like the the, the the best way to do that. So you can specialize either in, in uh, stage that you're investing in. You can be like a seed only fund, like first round. They really specialize in helping companies raise that first institutional seed and get to the series A. Really, really good at it. Or you can focus on a sector. Uh, and so that's, you know, obviously the route that we, we went down as a firm here. And so the, the fund is, uh, you know, the, the roots of the fund really come from Jay and Patrick, who are both Fortune 500 CISOs. Jay is the CISO of Blackstone, Patrick the CISO of Salesforce, Dropbox, and a few other companies prior to that. Um, and so it's really driven by their experience, uh, one, getting pitched by hundreds, if not thousands of, of security vendors over the years. And then the two of them, they have actually counted up, but have probably deployed, you know, let's call it $500 million worth of spend into cybersecurity tools over the 20 plus years that they were leading these security organizations. Uh, and so, you know, I think they had pretty strong opinions on what... Uh, you know, what the problems were in their organization and how things worked. And then we've really complemented that with uh, with just the full suite of, of operators. SIN is a really uh, top-heavy fund. It's almost a reverse pyramid. We have a lot of extremely senior folks, right? So there's two CISOs, uh, Art Coviello, who's formerly the CEO of RSA, you know, giant uh, security company, uh, Ryan Perma, who was the technical co-founder of uh, Silence and was the chief scientist at McAfee before that. Uh, and so for us, it's really just trying to 
create this this very narrow strike zone, and narrow in the sense that like we count how many deals are in strike zone. Last year, there's like roughly 460 deals that were in our very specific strike zone, and trying to build a team that uh, you know is is just really valuable for, for founders in that segment, right? Like, I don't think we're ever going to need a fund that has, you know, the, the suite of, of like talent folks that are out dialing for dollars, trying to hire your early engineers, right? It's going to be more like having uh, those very specific senior level people who can advise on very specific topics that they have, uh, you know, 20 plus years of experience in. Yeah. On that last point about, you know, very specific and tailored advice based on, you know, a, a bench of very experienced practitioners, like some of the guys you mentioned. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the uh, central or, or most common areas of support that you see portfolio companies coming to you guys and requesting? Is it about, you know, product management and finding talent? Is it about mm-hmm. sales strategy and getting meetings with the right people at the right prospects? Uh, that'd be helpful to talk about too. Sure. Yeah, so the, the first one that comes to mind is going to be on the CISO side. So uh, on the CISO side, it's going to be product positioning, right, or, or cutting through the noise. And thinking through, like, you know, if you have a VC who's on your board who was a buyer of your product, like a few years ago, you can, you can really go to them and ask a lot of questions uh, and try to, like, extract some of that institutional knowledge, right? Like, how should we adjust our product marketing? How, how should we navigate the sales product, uh, sales process? And things like that. That's I think that's one of the the most important and, and one of the first ones that a lot of our companies really work uh, with our team on. Really, once so so Ryan and our team has a few times over built you know massive uh, engineering organizations. So coming and thinking about uh, maybe not so much like the like specific engineering problems, but thinking about scaling an engineering team. How do you hire a hundred engineers, right? And how do you let build uh, the infrastructure to allow that team to work really well? is one that I know he's spent a lot of time with our portfolio companies on. Uh, and then we have a number of uh, venture partners who are part-time with us who have uh, a similar amount of very deep subject matter expertise. And so one that comes to mind there is, is Dan Burns, who's the founder of Optiv. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's one where if our portfolio companies are building out a channel organization, they're hiring a, a channel leader, uh, being able to go and just book like, you know, an hour with Dan Burns to talk about what questions should we ask to this person when we're interviewing them? What, like, how, how should we think about like the, the core metrics and KPIs for our channel organization? Having someone who's built one of the largest channel organizations on earth uh, is, is a good, a very good resource to have to go to and structure that. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Um, one thing I'm curious to step back into is uh, you mentioned the uh, the strike zone, I think is what you referred to it as, of, of having a very... Uh, you know, detailed, I would say, like set of characteristics of, of what you guys look for in a, a portfolio company uh, or investable company it would probably be a better way of putting it. Um, uh, one thing I saw in just research before uh, the interview was that you guys invest in less than 2% of the companies that you meet. So when you think about that, could you maybe define like what the strike zone looks like for you guys and, and maybe what you look for in investable companies? Sure. So for us, it's really we're really going to be focused on Series A, Series B cybersecurity companies. We'll also look at uh, seed rounds that are larger than like let's say five million dollars, where the company has some traction, uh, and that's the, the round that makes the most sense for them at the time. Uh, we, I would say, do focus mostly on the U.S., but we also have a presence in Israel. We have one venture partner there. We've done a handful of deals in, in Israel. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know that's where an enormous amount of cybersecurity talent is is located. 
Um, for us right now, just given the CISO connections, we do really focus on like the CISO led sales. So top down sales and not as much on product led growth. And it's not to say that that's not a fantastic business model. You, you know, like companies like Sneak have really shown that, that it can work, but it's just not uh, necessarily in like the DNA of our fund. I, I do think over time we will, we will see more companies there and, and we'll definitely spend more time there. Um, but yeah, when we're thinking about investing in companies, I mean, team is going to be the big one, right? Like where, where did the team come from? Do they have the propensity and the network to uh, scale a really high quality team over time? Um, you know, I think that's perhaps an obvious one. I think a lot of VCs think about, but then the other one for us that is maybe more differentiated is going to be customer validation. So uh, our, our team largely speaking has like a, a broad and, and strong CISO network. So one, just doing customer references on existing customers and just getting like, you know, really transparent thoughts on, on how it's been so far, how the product's been, how the, the actual users uh, have, have used it, how, you know, if something breaks, how fast has the company been to support it and what has the support been like, things like that. Uh, and then also um, testing out the, you know, the, the product with CISOs in, our, in, in, the, in the funds network. So, um, yeah. you know, maybe not like asking for a POC, but just being like, is this a priority? Like, is this segment right now something you guys are thinking about in your organization for 2023? Yeah. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the the top-down sort of sales motion. I know you, you mentioned product-led. Obviously, that's had a lot of hype over the last, you know, probably 18 months or so. But I'm curious to hear maybe on uh, when you think about sort of maybe even within the context of a few of your, your investments in portfolio companies, what is a a really good top-down CISO-led sales motion look like? Yeah, the, the first the first thing that comes to mind for me on this one is predictability. Um, mm. So it's really, you know, how can you engineer an organization that can um, just show up every quarter and just nail, nail the forecast, right? And so if you're forecasting 500K in that new ARR next quarter, um, can you hit 500, right? Like what's like, how many standard deviations does the team end up, uh, you know, executing with, within, within whatever the forecast is. And so, you know, even sometimes when you think about like, let's say your, your goal is 500 and you close 2 million, like that's awesome, right? Like you had a great quarter, but then uh, like a question is like, why was it so, why was the forecast so off, right? Like why, right. You know, why didn't you guys like forecast, you know, 1.8 or something? This, it seems like a, a little random here. So I think predictability is like a, a real core tenant of a high-performing go-to-market team. Um, you know, this is one I've definitely thought about this a fair amount. At, at the seller level, uh, which is a place that we definitely spend time, uh, is are, are the account executives or the VP or the directors are can they be really be thought leaders uh, and, and partners to CISOs? I mean, can they walk into an account and have uh, you know almost a meeting of peers and, and, and be, be like, hey, listen, this is where we think the industry is heading. Uh, you know, after they've done a bunch of, you know, discovery and qualification, understood what's going on in their environment, can they really kind of recommend, make recommendations that, uh, that carry weight, that are really specific to the organization? How well do they, do they know these accounts uh, is, is a big one. And then, you know, a place we spend a ton of time is pipeline generation. So looking at, like, what's the velocity of pipeline being added every quarter? Uh, looking at that broken out by account executives and you know, what's the quality of, of that pipeline, things like that. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's definitely a place we spend a lot of time. 
Yeah, cool. To dig into that a little bit, uh, especially your first point about predictability, um, can definitely understand how and, and why that's important. I'm curious to see maybe within the context again of, of uh, either your experience at Mongo or uh, you know thus far with Sin, why is predictability difficult? <laughs> so I don't I mean, big big question big question. <laughs> listen, I I don't I don't, don't want to yeah it's it's extremely difficult for for a number of reasons. One of the things I've seen most recently, like a, a real driver of this, is um, for qualified deals. So it's the deal's gone through the whole the whole process. Like let's say your your Salesforce process is six or seven steps. It's like down the bottom, like step seven. You guys are going through legal everything. One of the things we've seen this year in, in you know, the economic downturn and you know, changed economic environment was that even though the CISO you know, has, has their own budget and is choosing to buy this software, sometimes now uh, there has to be additional sign-off from the CFO or the CEO, like something mm-hmm. like that. And maybe that makes it take an extra 30, 60, 90 days to get this deal closed. But that could mean that, you know, your deal slips from Q3 to Q4 things like that. And so, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's one that comes to mind. It's just like, it's, it's, you know, it's just thinking about, um, you know, pipeline coverage, right? Like it's always like, if, if your, if your goal is 500 next quarter, you have three X that you have 1.5 that you have scheduled to close because the reality is right now, especially with budgets tightening, budgets shrinking, deals deals are going to slip. They're going to push to next quarter. It's not to say they'll never close, but uh, you know, it's it's just it's really it's it's just very challenging to get them to close at a very specific time. For sure, yeah. I guess sort of tangential to that, your third point was about pipeline generation. I know this is uh, in in the preparation as well, and some of the things I read. Uh, just before the interview, I know this is an area where sort of the CISO founder community that you guys foster can add a lot of value and just make introductions that you know create opportunity. So when it comes to pipeline generation, what are, are sort of the characteristics or, or best practices that you've seen within your uh, you know investments of like what true good pipeline generation looks like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in my mind, it's, at, at the account executive level, it's just discipline. I mean, I think it's just like coming into the office every single day and just being a machine, right? Like even even if you're like a senior enterprise account executive, just doing doing the work, doing the like the thirty calls or like the all the LinkedIn outreach, going through like your your outreach or sales lock, like all, all of the the steps that you have to take today. Just every single day, like schedules fill up. There's going to be a ton of calls. There's going to be deals that are happening, but carving out time every single day to just go and and, and do that. Um, on, on the SIN side with, with the CISO network that our team has, um, you, you know, that is, that is definitely something that is a part of our model. Uh, you know, one thing I, I wanted to clarify is that it's, it's definitely not like, you know, we invest in a company and then just kind of like spray it out in a Slack group to a bunch of CISOs. It's, it's very much, uh, in the other direction where, uh, our partners are spending time with CISOs every single week, oftentimes every day. Like if you if you were to like look at the calendars, I would bet our partners have a call with a you know public company CISO every day. And it's understanding what are the top three challenges that your organization is facing. Uh, yeah. And I think you know the partners at our fund right now have a really qualified opinion for these CISOs and can be a filtering mechanism. Say like, hey, listen, like 
you know, we, we have 20 companies. We're not going to recommend all 20. Uh, but if you have this one problem right now that you're really struggling with, we do have like one specific portfolio company that can handle that. Or we have a company we're looking at that can handle that. And so in the other direction, it's very much trying to trying to understand what's uh, what are the main problems and where we can where we can help. Yeah. How do you guys sort of, uh, when it comes to actually, um, you know, maybe even rec- making rec- those recommendations, what are the, the common answers that you're hearing from CISOs uh, regarding those biggest challenges right now? Is there any sort of consistency or trends that you guys are noticing? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Some, some of the ones that come to mind, I mean, these, these aren't crazy, but automation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to find efficiencies. So, you know, so many different tools out there are creating a ton of alerts. Uh, so how can you, how can you figure out how to consolidate that using technology? How can you focus on remediation instead of just focusing on creating alerts, which is, you know, which is one side of the problem. Uh, how can you deliver outcomes instead of like, you know, I think, I think if you think about uh, some of the store like 1.0 companies, which were fantastic companies and great businesses, it was this almost like philosophical approach of like, hey, here's here's like this um, here's a platform that you guys can spend a lot of time on to figure out how to solve your problems, as opposed to saying like, we'll just solve your problems. Like you, know, you yeah. have to invest so much time, engineering hours, uh, into into really making it work. That uh, I, I think I think the goal now is, you know, the opposite. How can you how can you automate? How can you just deliver outcomes? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Another topic before we move into the uh, the rapid fire round is I'm curious to hear a little bit about how you guys are adjusting or how you've seen portfolio companies adjust given the uh, you know the repricing that's happened in, in growth stage companies and then also yeah. just a more uncertain economic outlook. You've already mentioned you know deals just taking longer. Um, yeah. But are there any other maybe shifts that you've observed? Yeah, yeah. So at the late stage, and admittedly, we only have a few late stage companies right now, but at the late stage, it does seem like companies are, I mean, the IPO window is just totally, totally shut. There's there's no window to IPO at all right now. And so it's shifting to uh, a more cash flow neutral or even cash flow positive position right now. Uh, yeah. Trying to really cut burn. Uh, you know, for some companies, you know, we saw Sneak yesterday, I think just announced a, a big riff, uh, you know, which, which I'm sure was like extremely painful to go through for the company. But, um, but the reality is, is that that's just the, you know, the market condition. And so companies just really have to have to cut burn and, and focus on like extending their runway pretty much indefinitely at the late stage. Uh, at the early stage, uh, I, I will say that it doesn't, maybe it just feels like the, the pace of deals has slowed down a little bit to the point where like, I'm not really sure. I think companies are just really trying to avoid fundraising to, to take, you know, to, to avoid the down route, which is, which I think is totally fair. Uh, so for companies in our portfolio, you know, we definitely went through an exercise where we went out and just made sure every company has, uh, you know, venture debt from SCB or from JP Morgan and went sure that, you know, make sure that uh, they all have plenty of cash to, you know, to get through the next, uh, you know, 18, 24 months and then still be able to go because, yeah, you know, we, we really don't know what the fundraising environment is gonna, is gonna look like. Yeah, cool. All right, well, I know we're uh, we're coming up on time, so let's go ahead and pivot into the the rapid fire round. Um, basic premise of this is I ask a couple of quick questions and you share whatever comes top of mind. Sound good? Cool, let's do it. All right, what's your uh, favorite book? Favorite book? 
it's a, it's a book series, but I got super deeply absorbed in Robert Caro's LBJ series. I mean, I think it took me like I don't know, probably two years to read these things, but I just like could not stop thinking about them. They're incredible books. Okay, cool. Tell us about it a little bit. Yeah, so so LBJ was, I mean, just like a, a really deeply fascinating person, and I don't want to comment on his track record as a, as a politician and like endorse him as a candidate. Like I, you know, in yeah. many ways, like I, I probably would not after having read, read these books, but um, it, it was just really fascinating to see these books that got into the most granular detail I've, I've ever encountered in any kind of writing uh, on the ways in which like one human being was able to operate the largest machinery, you know, known to man being like the, you know, the United States Senate mostly, right? This one person who could come in and just just sort of <laughs> move the gears in a way that uh, that was like I don't know just just fascinating and totally um, just really had, had never happened before and, and the author just researches for like I don't know sixty or seventy years to get the level of detail that he ultimately ultimately got in those books. Wow. Who's the author? Robert Caro. Also, these Robert things are like a thousand pages each, and there's there's four, oh, of them. so it's like a, it's a pretty big commitment. But I, I will yeah. say they're, they're they're wonderful. I see how it took two years. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, cool. Um, if you could change one thing about the cybersecurity investing landscape, what would it be? Yeah, this is an easy one. I mean, cybersecurity does not have. Uh, the level of diversity that a lot of other categories have right now. I've seen stats that it's 25% female, but just even in my experience, that, that, that even seems high uh, based on you know the, the amount of time that I've, I've spent here. And so I think as an industry, that's that's a, a place that the, the broader industry should um, you know needs needs to work on in a lot of different ways. And you know, in the VC industry specifically, I think I think that's. Uh, you know, a place where there, there just needs to be more more diverse uh, investors investing in cybersecurity companies across the board. Yeah, agreed. What someone or who is someone I should say uh, in the industry who you really admire? George Kurtz. Uh, CrowdStrike is just an incredible company. Uh, yeah, you know, operating now at a scale that I don't think very many other cybersecurity pure play cybersecurity companies have ever gotten to and still op- like operating at such scale uh you know, when, when you look at the way they report right talking about the the number of customers who uh are, are using you know more than five more than seven CrowdStrike modules uh, i think it's executing this, this platform play that that is it's just really really interesting and the way that they've like opened up access to their agent to uh you know CrowdStrike marketplace it, it's just really fascinating company and, and george kurtz just seems like a, an incredible leader Cool. And last one, uh, if you could go back in time and get a drink with your 20-year-old self, uh, what advice would you give him? Yes, I have thought about this one. I would I would probably say uh, drink less and read more books. Uh, you know, not that I was like out of control, but like, I just feel like it's, it's a lot of wasted time. You know, a lot of like wasted Saturday mornings being hung over in my early 20s. Uh, and, and there's, there's just, you know, I feel like I let a lot, of, a lot of life pass me by like that, and uh, and I wish, I wish I could have you know, done done more stuff, done more stuff in, in New York, and, and spent more family time, more friends time, um, and, uh, and and read more books. You know, I think that's that's a that's a big one. Yeah, 
Well, if you bump into to 20 year old me, give him the, the same advice as well, please. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> yeah. Cool, Chris. Well, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you, man. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to, uh, to join me. And I appreciate you letting me throw some curveballs uh, throughout the course of the discussion. It was, was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was great. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya.